1: Hello, friends, and welcome into Rates in Barrels. It's a uh, mid-March edition. I am Chris Welsh, and there is no, you know, there's no DVR. Even Rates in Barrels? I know. I know some of you are having a big panic attack. I will try to hold down the fort. And joining me today, we've got James Anderson from RotoWire, one of my great friends, one of the best prospect minds out there, as we are going to be talking about first-year player drafts. And we'll get to James here in just one second. I do want to remind you guys that the 2023 Fantasy Baseball Draft Kit is here let go to the athletic.com slash rates and barrels $2 a month. You'll be rocking. Why not get all the great stuff. You can get all the Eno's great work. The kit got my dynasty ranks. Check it out. Athletic.com slash rates and barrels. You can find my dear friend, James Anderson on Twitter at real JR Anderson, James, what's up, buddy? Oh man, so much going on this time of year, dude, but uh, happy to be here with you. You know, I'm kind of curious about this. I was talking with Eno, me and Eno, were kind of planning this first year player uh, conversation, And do you think it's too late to have it? I actually think we're in a really interesting time. And the reason I ask this is is like you and I doing, you know, you do the Roto-Wire prospect stuff. I have prospect one. We're talking about first year player in like November. We're talking about it in December. January seems to be like the really big, hot first year player spot, but we're doing this in early March. There's still dynasty drafts that are going to start. We've also kind of got a little bit more information. You know, we've got players that are out at, uh, camps now we've got guys that might even be running into games. I mean, we are getting more first year player stuff. Do you think it's too late to really get into first year player in March, or do you think it actually might be a little secret weapon if you do your first year player or your you know your fresh new di- startup dynasties in like late March?
2: You know obviously you're gonna get a larger percentage of dynasty leagues to be able to use your content if you're doing it earlier than later, you know if you're doing it mid to late january then that should pretty much cover every dynasty league but uh i play in several where we haven't started our first year player drafts yet Mm. i think uh you probably would want to do it that way i guess if you had to pick whether to do it early or do it late i think doing it as close to the season as as you can makes sense so um hopefully that that encompasses a decent amount of leagues
1: yeah. I mean, that's how I feel about it too. Like getting an advantage of waiting and seeing a pr- prime example was uh, I chatted with uh, uh, Drew Jones just recently I've uh, mentioned it here and everywhere else uh, that I got to chat with Drew Jones. And I felt, I felt like in like November, March, e- even though Drew Jones had kind of been the consensus number one first year player guy, there was starting to lead up to the Jackson, not to say that like you know Jackson holiday isn't worthy but like he was starting to slowly kind of close the gap. And then you started seeing him in camps and, you know, we're seeing him uh, on the backfields and video and, you know, he's physically growing and we just have so much more information of what's going on with Jackson holiday that I felt like in, even though people were kind of jumping to drew Jones as November and December started to roll on, that started to slide a little bit and started to change a little bit. And the information when I chatted with drew was he was a full go. And I, and I've, felt like part of that change was like well drew hasn't been in any games and we're seeing this progression of jackson holiday well now as i talk with drew he's like yeah i feel good i'm good I've you know talked with lawler talked with carol carol about the shoulder injury stuff i'm going to be in practices i'm going to be in game action minor league spring training and that's going to get him to an affiliate how you feeling
3: feeling good uh kind of just getting back to doing more baseball stuff and just getting healthy yeah
1: shoulder yeah good getting better, right? Have, did you ever um take any time and, like chat with Lawler and Carol about the experience they had with the shoulder injuries um
3: yeah they just they I mean like right away like as soon as I knew I just kind of connected with them and talked to them and just they asked me and I just they just had to stay the course just like everybody else has.
1: yeah uh interesting uh Jordan kind of had a similar thing where he only got like a two games in, yeah. I think, a professional ball, and they got knocked out. I was actually at that game before he got knocked yeah. out. Yours was during, was it during uh, BP? Uh, during
3: batting practice,
1: yeah, just unfortunate. Mm. Just one little slip up. But was uh, it, was, like, mentally kind of tough, like, in the first experience out, that happening?
3: Um, it. I mean, I felt like i I mean, I've never really been, like, had a significant injury or, like, a lot of time off of baseball, so I just kind of took it, like, as, like, it's time off for me and just to make sure to get my body healthy and things like that. Yeah,
1: that's definitely, it's like the first test. Yeah. Like the first, first one that's right. got to be like kind of jar. It was a little bit jarring. Uh, right? A little bit, but I mean, yeah. it,
3: you know, t- it, hap- it happens. So. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, also you obviously have like the experience in the family and everything yeah. with your dad, but did he give you any advice through the whole process? Um, he just said, just
3: follow what the people are saying, like do the rehab and just don't try and rush anything. Don't try and push yourself to do anything yeah. that you can't do.
1: What's the plan for spring training and like the opening of the year?
3: Um, just kind of starting with the team. It kind of just depends on what everybody thinks and what everybody says. It's kind of just like seeing like how I'm doing and how I'm feeling. Are
1: you going to be in uh, any minor league spring training
3: games? Uh, I think so, hopefully. Sweet, I'm yeah. excited to see that. That'll be really yeah. good. Have they, have they not told you like Low uh, or not complex, sure? Yet, or... No, just kind of just staying the course, just seeing what they say.
1: I feel like that actually works a little bit more back into his favor of feeling comfortable about that. I don't know if it necessarily changes him being one or two or whatever it is, but yeah, you know, that's one of those reasons. Like getting information about players as much as possible on first year players, what we're looking for. Uh, has there been any swaying with you on the top two guys? And that's what we're going to talk about here. We're going to do tiers of players and really. Tier 1 is just Drew Jones and Jackson Holiday. Has there been any swing in this entire process for you?
2: No, I had I had it 1A1B pretty much all off-season and sticking with that, I think it's uh anyone who wants to put Holiday over Jones, I think it's more about Holiday than any slight on Jones. Uh Holiday's just been trending up like a rocket ship over the past year and Jones has been you know Jones is more sort of the track record guy but i i don't i think track record's kind of overrated on the amateur side it's kind of like what have you done recently because all these guys are uh, very early in their development and very early in their physical maturation so uh, i definitely get the case for holiday i definitely get the case for jones and i have jones one spot ahead of holiday but yeah, I think it's definitely those two in the top tier for me.
1: Let's do this for a second. I'm going to attempt to encompass as much as possible, not only talking about first-year player, but surrounding these guys with, if you guys were doing a prospect draft, or you know, if you're looking at prospects versus dynasty, you guys can get James's prospect ranks over at Rotowire. If you would like to check it out, you can sub there and you can check it out. Uh, there's a really interesting name that is sandwiched between these two guys. You have these guys both inside the top 12 and sandwiched in between Drew Jones and Jackson Holiday is James Wood. And James Wood has been getting even more pub for some absurd sprint speeds and times he's put up that would rival Corbin Carroll, except he's six foot seven, 230, 240 pounds. Uh, I've always had a tenuous relationship with James, uh, with James Wood because every time I see him in person, which has been a lot, he stinks. But at the same time, it's at complex level. And I think he plays up and then he goes and he, you know, puts up amazing numbers. As soon as he gets out of a rehab here and complex and goes up to the next level. But what can't be denied is he looks like the number one prospect in the nationals from that trade. How do you parse out James Wood being behind drew Jones and above Jackson holiday in that sandwich. You think that's slowly starting to maybe change, especially when you're talking about the, what have you done for me lately?
2: I, I think it'll just be that same order for me, uh, on the next update, uh, I kind of lumped those three together because I think they are the three best prospects that don't have any upper level experience under their belt. So obviously Woods played at higher levels than, or has more experience at at higher levels, A ball basically than, uh, than holiday and, and obviously more than Jones. But I think those guys are all kind of moving on a similar trajectory towards the majors. I wouldn't be surprised if they all debut the same year. And I think they all have just massive ceilings. So uh, all the guys I have ahead of them, I expect to beat them to the majors by at least a full year. And so these these three are kind of the elite guys that, that you won't see anytime soon.
1: Well, that's kind of telling if you think that Holiday and Jones would come up at the same time as James would. That would also probably show that they are jumping and skipping levels. I mean, James is, what, probably going to be at high A to start and maybe push double A I'm expecting both uh, Holiday and Drew Jones to be at low A this year and maybe move to high A, but do you think there's at some point like that's going to change and Drew Jones and Jackson Holiday are going to even just move forward, even past, maybe at the same level of where James Wood is?
2: Yeah, I think I think Jones and Holiday are the types of guys that, that are going to move very quickly by prep hitter standards. Uh, and then I also think if you look at team context, the Nationals are – further behind the Diamondbacks and the Orioles in terms of when they're going to start contending. So I don't really see any reason why the Nationals would bring James Wood up any sooner than they need to because they're going to be really bad for the next at least three years. So uh, you could see a scenario where Holiday is kind of the final piece to the puzzle for the Orioles or Jones is kind of, um, you know, they're ready to kind of push for a wild card spot and they break camp with with Jones and center field or something like that. So, uh, team context factors in the fact that Wood is this ridiculously tall specimen. Those guys typically don't move super super fast. Uh, there can be exceptions, but yeah, I think factoring everything in, you know, the fact Jones and Holiday uh, really really strong two way guys in terms of you know adding value with the glove. I think they're all going to move. To the majors at around the same time
1: what would it take for holiday to jump drew jones in your mind uh would it take uh early production changes i mean what what's the in, what's the move and what's the date the de- you know the deadline you'd say drew jones struggles jackson holiday is good and it is may 15th and these have to swap what does it take
2: it would probably have to take some something 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 jones did or didn't do to kind of have some doubt creep into my mind regarding him. I I'm I think Holiday has a higher floor than than Jones. So uh
1: maybe like Holiday, a higher strikeout rate for Drew. Like Drew's strikeout rate is pushing like the really high twenties and Holiday's sitting well, in the low twenties and not producing.
2: I think it's more of just a question mark with Jones. I would be stunned if Holiday ever really had any issues with the hit tool. And with Jones, I, I think he'll be great but we just don't really know. Um, so I, it would be Jones, Jones being worse than I expected him to be. And then holiday being as good as I expected him to be. I could see that flipping because they are in the same tier for me.
1: In dynasty. What do you say to people that are going to look at like 18 year old, 19 year old kids that don't have a lot of professional experience and are going to invest as far as dynasty goes, the ought no, I'm, pronouncing it correctly meaning you know kept going back and forth about that uh the podcaster league that i did i did end up getting drew jones for like two bucks and uh because i smartly figured out quick that i need to go two dollars because someone will inevitably push one more dollar just to be a jerk and i had to go and get drew jones and i made that investment in a format that i don't know it, it definitely reeked more of needing more proximity type of players so like how do you deal with, I mean, you are, and I'm, by the way, I'm not against it because you know I'm the exact same way on this, but, like, you've got two barely professional players inside the top 15 overall, overall prospects. Like, what do Dynasty players do with that? Do, you know, are you comfortable? Should they be comfortable taking these players inside the top 125, 150 of Dynasty, even if they're in win now? Like, what what are the scenarios around these Tier 2 prospects?
2: Well, it's, it's a, it, you know, it's a comfort level thing with for every dynasty manager i know that there are plenty of dynasty people who are just kind of perpetually in win now mode and maybe taking jones or holiday isn't their cup of tea uh if if you're in a league where you're really confident the league's going to exist in five years 10 years then i think you gotta treat these guys like top 15 guys if you're rebuilding and you know that you're, you're three years away from contending whether the league exists or not, then I mean, I think these guys are pretty appealing. But if you're worried about the league folding, if your team is older and you're, you've got to win in the short term... I wouldn't like I think it's just a massive mistake if you, if you have the first pick in a first year player draft or the second pick in a first year player draft to take Cody Senga over these guys I think that mm. that's just a huge mistake because you're passing on the opportunity to have a superstar hitter for his entire career uh and if you take Jones and Holiday even if you're the the win now team I think you can feel pretty good about being able to turn those guys into a better big league piece than than Senga in sometime this season. So I, I think that's, that's the way to go no matter where you're at competitively, but uh, if it's just a dynasty and we're not talking first year player, like if you want to take a Curtis Mead or Anthony Volpe over those guys, because you love the the proximity, be my guest. You know, I think those guys are all kind of in the same tier, but uh, from just a, an upside uh, superstar potential standpoint, I think Jones and Holiday have to be taken very seriously
1: like one that like uh, like an example that jumps out to me would be someone being like well I want Casas over over Drew Jones you know or Casas over Jackson Holiday because I'm going to get the production now and I think he's going to be really good and that would kind of be it you brought up the I'm going to call them the 13th floor uh, you know like a hotel where they'll go from like 12 to 14 they're kind of my 13th floor because they're not really first-year player guys and some people won't put them in their first-year player draft so we actually did not have them in, uh, in the CBS Scott White 24-team league. They do not put them in the first-year player uh, because of international contracts, but some people do. So my 13th floor players of Kodai Senga and Masataka Yoshida, when they fall into this, they're the ones that screw it up. a uh, Suzuki screwed it up. We always have like an international guy that comes in, and it is the ultimate huge young upside talent Versus international, gonna play right now production. And that's what people battle with. So you would say that Senga and obviously Yoshida, who completely broke all the projection systems, those players should not go over the two young guys, really, regardless of whatever format you're doing for your dynasty. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, if we're talking dynasty, we're
2: talking about a league that's got spots for minor leaguers. And these are, these are two of the best minor leaguers out there. And uh, just because Senga and Yoshida are older and and had success in Japan doesn't mean that they're super safe in terms of being top 150 players. They're fairly safe in that they're going to be playing in the major leagues, but we don't have any guarantee how good they're going to be. And I I don't think there's really any case to say that they have anywhere near the type of ceiling that, that Jones and Holiday have.
1: Also, Sanga I kind of struggled in that. What did he have a start? Uh, I guess it was two days ago. He was showing off the ghost fork, which I think got Jordan Walker. Uh, If I'm reading this right too, it had 41 inches of drop, which is relatively absurd. Um, He threw 10 sweepers with an almost 2,900 RPM, and he maxed out on the fastball at 99. This is Sanga, But there were some early control struggle issues. If you're in a startup dynasty, and uh, you want to win now? The same. I mean, I know you've kind of answered it. I'm just trying to build different scenarios. Is there that scenario where you're in a dynasty startup where, like, everyone's together? You know what I mean? It's not like a separate prospect draft. You got to do them all together. Senga or Jackson Holiday and win now and it's still Holiday. Yeah, it's still Holiday. And I sure.
2: I was there for that uh, Senga start a
1: couple of days ago. And oh, you were in Florida for first pitch, right? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Baby. And uh, I I got to watch his bullpen session before the game there were this was one of those fields where the bullpen is is on the field it's not behind any walls or anything and so you had like 200 300 mets fans just crowding these these railings about like 40 50 feet away from senga during this bullpen session and dude he could not throw a strike at all in this Mm. bullpen session i thought that the control was going to be an issue in the start and he did walk the first two guys then you know, props to him. He he kind of started started throwing the filth. Guys weren't laying off of it the way they probably should have. I mean, I think if I if I were Arnado, Goldie, Jordan Walker, I would have been make him th- in in make him throw a strike mode. Uh, and I think uh, just from what I saw, you know, I think the control could be an issue. There could be some ugly outings. Uh, hopefully, that was just nerves because of how you know that was his first stateside game action there were a lot of Mets fans there You know, maybe it was just some nerves but I didn't leave that start feeling like oh crap I gotta get this guy obviously the stuff was great but uh, I mean it was kind of it was kind of <laughs> odd to just see him just be completely unable to throw a strike in a bullpen session without hitters in the box.
1: Well, that's another first-year player draft pitcher that I'm all too familiar with that fails to even in practice sessions throw strikes on fastballs. That's a problem. What were your uh any takes on that uh fork, on the ghost fork that you saw in person? Well, I wasn't uh right behind the plate like where the scouts
2: are, so I mean, I think you know, any anyone could have a similar take by just watching video as as I would. I mean, it was it was great. You you mentioned all the the metrics and everything. Uh, it's not an issue with the stuff at all. Obviously you if you're touching 99 and you got that, that type of movement on the off speed pitches, you could miss a lot of bats. Um, it's just going to be all about the control for me.
1: Yeah. I'm watching a video too, that it has me thinking like my initial reaction. And I think I said, I might've said this before with, with a guy that the dominant pitch and you could call it arguably dominant pitch. But if I have a guy that struggles with high velocity fastballs with command, and has like this dominant breaking pitch. I go back and think of dominant uh, Casey Mize when he was coming up and everyone was talking about the splitter. And my big thing was like, well, just don't swing at the splitter. And you saw in his first couple starts where guys were just not swinging at the splitter at all and were forcing him to throw strikes with a fastball and they were beating him up. So your ability to throw strikes in, in different spots is really important. But I'm watching this video of uh, Pitching Ninja right now. And the release point is really interesting because he overlaid the 98 mile an hour fastball and this 83 mile an hour fork, and I could definitely see how are you? They're going to have to figure out like the different release points uh, or the you know the quick movement off the hand to decipher those to not be swinging at them. But to your to what you said, like it might simply just be, you don't swing early in counts and you make him throw strikes. You like, you just make him throw strikes early on hilariously, like this whole Miguel Vargas situation where everyone knows he's coming up and he's not swinging. And yet he still has walks and guys can't get it over. That might be an approach to have with Senga. But I mean, to your point, like you didn't walk away super impressed with him. So the floor 13 players, they've got their spot. Masataka Yoshida I think is interesting but if I'm in a first year player personally I don't consider uh, Yoshida until probably at least the eighth or ninth guy even if I'm in win now and saying is tough you know if I were in a I were in a dynasty and it was first year player and I had like the fourth or fifth pick I personally couldn't pass up the big four I consider the big four we're going to talk about tier two here in a second when you get to five and you start looking at guys like cam collier and netto and brooks lee like i might be willing to take that risk with sanga regardless of some of those early uh, issues because that three picks pitch mix that you just bring up even with command issues it's something you might want to bet on a 99 mile an hour fastball big sweeper that's getting whiffs and a ghost, ghost fork which is going to keep guys on their toes the whole time those are things that i feel like pitchers and pitching coaches could work with it's just how much involvement do the mets pitching coaches really even need when you have verlander and scherzer out there like what What do do they get taught? So you hope the pitchers might um, move off a little bit on them. Uh, The tier two in first-year player, I put five different players in here, even if I don't necessarily agree with it. Elijah Green, Tamar Johnson, Brooks Lee, Zach Netto, Cam Collier. I believe that is tier two. When you're looking at all these players, it mixes in different. How do you rank out these five? I don't remember what your order is.
2: Uh, Tamar is uh, definitely number three. Uh, elijah green is four uh but elijah green could move up and he could move down i think he's a very volatile prospect even even this year even at his at his age uh you know the strikeout rate it could be scary it could be manageable and if it's scary i'll slide him down uh but i think that the upside justifies him being at, at uh, Four
1: behind I, defi- behind Johnson. I almost put those two alone, by the way, because I personally believe they're kind of in their own sector. Like I love Tamar Johnson, and I think people are kind of coming back around on it. Elijah Green might be the most physically gifted player in this entire draft, and he's got big strikeout issues. So they could almost you could almost argue that this is like tier A, tier two A, and then it's tier two B on this because I I know you and I don't disagree, but I feel like there are some people out there that you start to look at these high school guys, both that have a couple warts on them, if you will. And they go, well, I would rather Brooks Lee, who's got tremendous power, a great bat, and might move to a corner spot. Zach Neto, who just hit uh, a big double the other day, looks a little overmatched, but he's always got an interesting approach, who I really love. And then, you know, in first-year player, you get around the prospect uh, fantasy people. And Cam Collier goes up as high as three for some because he is uh, he's a next world athlete who actually reclassified to join the draft class in here. So that's why I kind of ended them out together. So it's Tamar, Elijah Green. And then what's that separation with those other three?
2: Yeah, there, there's a gap there for me too. Uh, I, I think Zach Neto and Brooks Lee are definitely the the top two college guys. Uh, I prefer Netto. I uh, just think he's more likely to contribute in all five categories, uh, whereas I don't think Lee's going to run at all. And then Collier, um, you know, again, it's just kind of roster context, league context, probably five years away, four years away. If that's just a deal breaker for you, then so be it. Uh, Neto and even Lee could debut this year. So I think if you're, I would still suggest kind of going after one of them over Senga, even if you're in win now mode, just because they you know, they're going to be four or five months behind Senga and they're, they've got much more staying power in, in my opinion. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I I'm with you in terms of, I would want Johnson or green or I'd want to be picking maybe like seventh and just get whichever guy kind of falls.
1: Like I just want to not be around Senga and Yoshida. I don't even want to have to think about it is bottom line. What I would want, what, um, when when you're putting those uh, oh, those two guys for the major league spot, what odds would you put on Lee and Neto to make a debut this year? If you had to give odds,
2: I think Neto makes it if he's healthy. I just think they uh, you look you look at that depth chart um, and you look at the Angels the way that they like they draft guys specifically to move them quickly. Uh, they don't like that's the appeal to them. They Guys are,
1: that they don't have to really work with and they don't right. have to try to mature and develop right. because their development isn't great.
2: Yeah. Um, and, I mean, they did, a, did that with pitchers last year. Neto, I mean, is he a better option at big league shortstop than Luis Ranjifo come August? Like, I don't know. He could be. And so I would give Neto above 50% chance of debuting this year as long as he doesn't suffer an injury uh lee there's a you know carlos correa every time he gives a quote it's kind of take it with a grain of salt but uh you know he thinks lee's ready for the big leagues this year i don't see any any really obvious path for him that's a crowded depth chart they've got plenty of guys who have been paying their dues in the upper levels who are infielders so i don't i would say definitely under 50% on lee but he is so, he was such an advanced college hitter that i wouldn't rule it out
1: and I think he is probably the best just bat in general, if you're trying to you know, make that guess is Lee. But I, I've been a Neto guy. My only concern with Neto is like, so I was watching, I went back to watch replays because I tweeted out this video, that Neto uh, double video. And the, th- the thing that jumped out to me, and I completely forgot about this because one of the things I liked about it was he had this really mild uh, approach on, it was a two strike count. And I just had forgot that, His version of like choking up on the bat is on two strike counts. So in the first two counts, any, you know, non two strike count, he's got this really, really big front leg kick. I, I think it's reminiscent of Royce Lewis. And that's kind of why I've comped him to Royce Lewis. He just gets, I mean, that knee probably gets up, you know, to like middle of his rib cage. It just really gets up there. But then in two strike counts, the leg barely moves. And that was where he stuck into that double. My problem with him is, boy, did he look overmatched. And I know it was like one of the first or maybe was the first spring training at bats he's getting and you're going up against more major league pitching, but they just brutalized him with the fastballs when he was implementing that front leg kick and his timing seemed off. And then when he got into simple, like simplified, I want to make contact mode, crushes the double to right center field. And he flew, I think actually turned it into a triple. Like he's a super fast athletic guy. My only worry with Neto is that he is going to have some early struggles. He's going to run into like early contact struggles that the team is going to be a little bit worried about, and they're going to have to develop him longer, that they're not going to take guys like David Fletcher and Ringifo off of the team in favor of him. So that's my worry about Neto for this year. Brooks Lee is interesting because you could look at the depth chart and be like, oh, there's not a path right now because they do have a lot of guys, and if he goes to third if cure you know kirloff could go to dh miranda could go to first brooks lee could be in at for uh, at third with the the potential to play shortstop once royce lewis is there if they need the depth but i, I would probably put both i put Neto at like 35 percent and brooks lee at like 30 percent, which i would love but it is part of the case of like what makes them so interesting when you're drafting these guys you have let me do a couple uh differences tamar johnson is four spots higher than Oswalt Peraza, who's making time this year. What do you like about Tamar over Oswalt Peraza if you were trying to break it down to someone who is just freaking out because they need production now? Why Tamar over Oswalt Peraza?
2: Well, if someone's freaking out and they want production now, I have no problem going Peraza over Johnson. Uh, I think Johnson's just got more impact potential offensively, and I think he's going to move pretty quick for for a high school hitter. But... I mean, I that's a they're in the same tier, so I would not spend any time trying to talk anyone out of Prazo over Johnson if they're trying to win now.
1: Okay, yeah, I mean, like Prazo's got a better stealing potential, but I think the contact is going to be better than Tamar Johnson. Uh, let's try one with Elijah Green. Let's see, you've got Elijah Green. Okay, Elijah Green versus Colton Kauser. You got Colton Kauser once, but I'm pick, I'm really like picking at you here because these are guys are next to each other. And at the end of the day, I know personally I can speak for James cause I am the same way you, you want to pick one guy over the other one guy being 22 and one guy being 23, isn't the biggest thing in the world, but like what is a separator for Colton Kowser to be above green when you have big questions on, uh, on green? So, yeah, I mean, I, I would just say that Kowser is much,
2: much, 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 much safer than green, <laughs> uh, green, green, Green has forty homer potential realistically. Kauser probably doesn't have thirty homer potential realistically. So um, there's definitely a gap in terms of the tools in certain facets of the game with them. But uh, Green could just Green could just not even amount to anything. And Kauser is going to probably debut this year. So. Just the safety factor with Kowser. and it's not like he's got a a low ceiling. I mean, he could he could be a twenty twenty guy. So mashed
1: a homer in spring uh, just the other day. Uh, That's seven players. Of those seven, how many are top fifty prospects in the first year of these first year player guys? Uh, in your mind, let's see. So um, we know Drew Holiday, Elijah, are
2: right, and then uh, Neto is, Collier is like. Collier and Neto are, are just inside my top 50, but that's it.
1: And then Brooks Lee's right outside of it.
2: Uh let's see, not right outside. He's he's in he's kind of around like 70.
1: Okay, so he's, oh, he's a little bit further. Okay, so six of the guys we talked about the first two tiers are in James's top 50 of overall prospects. Takes us to tier three. Uh, I, this isn't in a specific order. I put these guys in or my order or anything like that, but you have Spencer Jones with the New York Yankees. Very, very popular right now. A lot of Aaron judge comps that are being thrown around. Kevin Parada, who I think is a lot less popular with people. I'm a little bit higher on him with the New York Mets catcher, drew Gilbert with the Houston Astros and Chase a Who's going to miss some significant time, uh, suffering. Uh, I think it was a foot a- injury, uh, but he's going to be out for a bit. Drew Gilbert's in there. If you wanted to argue, let's just do it. Let's put Gavin Cross in there. Gavin Cross had a day. I had him in tier four, but let's go. Spencer Jones, Kevin Prada, Gilbert Delauder and Gavin Cross. Two favorites out of tier three, if you had to pick.
2: Okay. So I'll say Drew Gilbert, uh, very well rounded. He was the highest, or he was the guy I was highest on of all these guys uh, for the draft. And he went to a good landing spot. Uh, so I I think Gilbert's gotta be there. Uh and then uh Kevin Parada, I guess, would be my my other one. Uh really? Okay. Really strong track record. He's just been extremely productive for the last, you know, three years. Uh I have no idea if he's gonna be a catcher or a DH or Split time at at multiple spots, but they drafted the bat with him, and I I have faith in the bat, so uh, I'll go with Gilbert and Prada.
1: I'm very I'm surprised in a great way because I did not realize that um, I do these for everybody listening, I do these things called the P180p mocks. I create an ADP system for prospects. I do it on my uh, patreon at in this So you can see what top 200 prospects are because we don't have an ADP out there. Um, we got some other industry people that do different drafts. and I felt like in everything that I've seen over the last four months, Kevin Parada is such an afterthought. Yet, like you said, he had such a prestigious career in college at Georgia Tech. I mean, he hit like 27 homers, I think, and steals some bases, makes contact at every stage of his college career. And then he comes over to the Mets, and I really think they want him to be the catcher. Like Francisco Alvarez, I think they see as like, pseudo catch almost like Varsho was like pseudo catcher but more of a DH than outfield where is, I think someone that they could line up to that and I think Kevin Prada could be something like a J. Two Romuto uh, long term I think he's just and I know we've had some guys like Henry Davis is really cool coming out of Louisville but I think Kevin Prada is offensively and defensively just maybe one of the most solid guys but I feel like he's like 12 13 14 on so many lists you actually have him next to Brooks Lee and that's that's pleasantly surprising James
2: yeah, I think it's just people maybe overreacting to exit velocity data in both directions. You know, overreacting to how good someone like uh, Spencer Jones's exit velocity data is, and kind of overreacting to sort of how underwhelming Paradas was in a, in a short sample. Uh, but I think you got to you got to look at the track record there. Uh, Jones was was a guy that was like kind of interesting before the draft not a guy that I would have had anywhere near Parada. And he goes to the Yankees and, you know, people start making all these stupid comps and they see the EVs and stuff. Uh, but I think you got to look at the track record there.
1: Yeah. And if, if people are wondering, you've got him over like uh, Diego Cartaya, uh, Henry Davis. I mean, it's, it's a pretty good group that you're putting him in here. Oh, of those guys, is there someone that doesn't belong? Uh, Gavin cross, Spencer Jones. Um, who's the other one? Uh, Chase DeLotter. Do one of those guys not belong in this tier? I don't, I don't, I don't have Cross in this in this tier uh, personally. Um, and I had I, him in the next tier, by the way. So I just, I don't know why I decided uh, to throw him in because he, he, I think he had a homer the other day, or he got some uh, I mean, action in spring. You will see, you will
2: see him go first round. So I think just from a, where are these guys going to go? I think he might belong in the tier, but I, I think he's the worst of those guys.
1: <laughs> no, why do you think he's the worst? Why? Do you, well, I why did you hate Gavin Cross? I have,
2: I mean, I wasn't that. High on him before the draft. I I just have questions about the hit tool. He hasn't faced age-appropriate pitching yet. I I'll be interested to see what Gavin Cross does at Double A. I'll be interested to see what Spencer Jones does at Double A. Um, I don't know. I I, it's a bad org. Uh, a bad org. <laughs> I I just think I think there's going to be more swing and miss there than uh, people are letting on. But uh, you yeah, know, we'll
1: see. Yeah. I mean, development, like look at Eric. I love Eric Pena personally, but like the regression he took of the, like, I, I don't know what it was. Was it the lack of working with, he showed such promise for like, like early stages, but from what they've done of really developing guys like Michael Garcia is kind of an anomaly at this point for how they're really bringing up players. You know, it, it's funny you say it. Cause I was at Royals camp two days ago and I saw it was Gavin Cross, Hayden Dunhurst and um, Caden Wallace, were the guys that went out. And there was something kind of about Caden Wallace that I wonder if, and not to like make a big thing about it, but I wonder if Caden Wallace could end up being a better fantasy option at a first year player than Cross was. And Caden Wallace hit 293 in his pro debut, two homers, stole eight bases, got up to single A. And he moved two levels. I think he did. Yeah, he did a little bit of ACL and he hit 294 in a ball i kind of like and i think he was at arkansas i really liked him early on and he just kind of faded off that like when i look at gavin cross i think oh that's kind of a pass for me and i would want to take caden wallace a little bit later just a random caden wallace aside i don't know if you have any feelings on him
2: no that that wouldn't surprise me and uh it's very clear that they view him as their third baseman of the future uh no one's standing in his way so um yeah, I could see that.
1: Yeah. Yep. And uh, I think I might have even seen him play a little first yesterday, but he was locked in at third. They were running a scrimmage game on the backfields and uh, yeah, a lot of talent uh, that was running out there. Okay. So let's go to tier four and then we are going to look at some deeper. And then there's an obvious omission uh, we have here that I'm going to clearly cover. This is tier four in the first year player, which is essentially getting us into like the heavy first round of first year player and trying to give you guys an idea. And tier four consists of Dalton rushing who was uh, from Louisville and uh, catcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers, very exciting. Jet Williams, who's going to clearly be the first person we talk about because James really likes him. Jacob Berry is one of those players, kind of like Kevin Prada, that has really fallen off. This is a former U.S. Uh, U of A uh, first baseman who went over to LSU. He hits, but kind of defensively has some weird questions. And then Ethan Salas, I'm throwing in here because of some crazy stuff that is out there. And uh, I feel good about that because I think I, I felt like I started the talk about Ethan Salas when everyone was talking about Felton and Selston. So, but aside, let's talk about jet Williams because as much as I brought up, uh, you know, my excitement about how, where you have Kevin Prada, you have jet Williams above Brooks Lee and Kevin Prada. That is very telling you and I have kind of gone, gone back and forth about him. He's a sm- physically smaller guy around five foot eight, but you know, kind of stocked out a little bit, has incredible bat speed, can really turn on the ball. Hit tool is pretty high. But why don't you expand on your your true, true love of Jet Williams?
2: Yeah, I think he's just got a really, really high fantasy ceiling. Uh, guys who are a little undersized, I think it all, it pretty much always opens up a buying opportunity, it opens up a buying opportunity for teams in the draft, uh, opens up an opportunity for us in Dynasty. Uh, because there's just this bias against guys like this. And I understand it to to a certain extent, but uh, we've just got probably a dozen examples over the past five, ten years of guys who are undersized emerging as big-time impact fantasy hitters. And Jet Williams has all the physical traits that could allow him to do that. Uh, You mentioned the bat speed. He's also got... Uh, big time wheels on the bases one of the best hitters from the prep ranks in that entire class so i just i don't really care if a guy's five eight five nine if if i love everything else in their game i think we've had enough examples to to kind of show us that you can be a superstar in the big leagues without being five foot eleven six foot so uh if the only reason you don't like jet Williams is his height, then that's fine. But just acknowledge the rest of the rest of his uh, profile is extremely exciting for fantasy. It,
1: it kind of reminds me of, and I'm not, this is a negative, but it kind of reminds me of like when Nick Gonzalez came up. Cause Nick, I think they listed him at five ten. I don't know. When I saw him at New Mexico state, like it was like five, nine or something. It's a smaller guy, but you could see where the physical bulk was going to come in. Nick, Nick Gonzalez had some of, The best bat speed I have ever seen in the college side. Uh, It was tremendous. And obviously, like, he didn't take all of that. But the funny thing is, is like Jet Williams is a better hitter and he steals more. He was a perfect six for six in 10 games in the minor leagues this past year. So, I mean, obviously, the attempts are going to be a little bit up, but he was really able to go. So I know Jet is definitely your guy. Ethan Salas, I want to talk about. So I planted my flag earlier in the year on Prospect 1, especially right around the J-15 time. J-15 is when the international players are allowed to sign. And Feldman Selston with the Seattle Mariners was one of the most popular guys. And I did an episode on first-year player. And one of the conversations we, we would have around that is that the international class doesn't have as much flair anymore. They go way later. Uh, there's multiple years now, a track record of this hasn't worked. Uh, Robert Powassan is like right in our face. Well, Ethan Salas is a player that I just was like, this is my guy, I don't care, he's a catcher. And then we get this article that came out recently that was it was a little absurd. It was like, Ethan Salas, Hall of Famer, and blah, 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 blah. But he is a 16-year-old, James, that is in camp. I saw him today. I was over there. He's working on the side. And the talk from his side, which I heard before it became public in this article, was that he might play... Low A ball this year, not just rookie. He might go to full season ball as a 16-year-old. It's absolutely unheard of. So I had him higher than anyone in the world. I believe that's starting to change a little bit because of the buzz that's going on. I can't now get him in a few drafts I've done. I'm very curious at your Ethan Salas conversation he might not be in this tier four for you at all but i do think he has moved into this tier four tier five of first year player that he's become more of a priority for people because this he might be the next big international thing
2: yeah i mean i think it kind of comes down to uh, kind of what we were talking about uh, earlier it's just like how long is your league going to exist how do you treat catching prospects uh you know i like think about a guy like harry ford uh, Harry Ford hasn't done anything but positive things since getting into pro ball. Yeah. He's had success in every aspect of the game, but he's still two plus years away. There's, I don't know, a dozen catching prospects in my top 100, ten catching prospects in my top 100. Most people in dynasty either have a good big lead catcher or really good catching prospect. So at a certain point, there's kind of a supply and demand issue at that position. And if you're talking about a guy who's at least three years away in solace, then I I just, it's not something I'm really chasing um, just because of the position. Uh, Nothing against him, nothing against his upside or his talents. But, you know, there's just, even last year, we had probably half dozen catchers emerge from being not top 150 prospects to being uh, top 100 prospects, and it's just how many teams in a dice league don't have a catcher they really like, you know. And if you have yeah. two or two or three catchers, what can you even get for them in a trade?
1: We've we've kind of done this, like you and I have done this last two years. It's like the catcher renaissance is going on in fantasy. There's just like so many better catchers, and they're getting used in different positions, like you know, MJ Melendez playing outfield and stuff like that. Uh, Francisco Alvarez going to be a, a utility or DH type of guy. But at the end of the day, like there's only so much you can keep going. I don't disagree with that. Even this year's class, I mean, we just talked about Kevin Parada. Dalton Rushing is another one of those who had maybe one of the best spurts um, coming out of the draft in short minor league stints than anybody else. So there's only so much you can do. But I would say, like the control. The pitch recognition from Ethan Salas at his age is already ridiculous. It's not absurd for 19-year-olds to make even the majors, and I think that is on the table. That is literally what they're talking about as far as games uh, that he can call defensively, how he is as a catcher. We'll just have to see how he matures. He's someone I want to invest in. The problem is I also want to invest in Dalton Rushing. That's another one of those. He has just jumped up boards from like November, if you were doing first-year player, to now here in March. He's also a guy that's a little bit more tantalizing, in like first year player, or uh, dynasty draft. I'm sorry, not just first year player, but like dynasty drafts. If you're doing a fresh new dynasty, Dalton rushing, you would want to take over an Ethan Salas because that guy might, that guy might hit triple a this year, especially with how the bat is. So I'm curious that your Dalton rushing takes.
2: Yeah. I think he kind of belongs. Like, I, I think I've got him and Spencer Jones back to back. I think he, he belongs right. in that mix. I think you could, I could go back and forth on Parada versus rushing and, mm. Uh, Part of what I, you know, you don't want to overreact to a small sample, uh, but he did have the best debut of anyone. Um, Easy. Whether you want to look at just basic stats, whether you want to look at hard hit stats, uh, and then you look at his kind of background and the fact that he was Henry Davis' backup for a couple years, it's, you know, you can sort of see how this might be a guy who's really starting to peak now that he's getting – the, the reps that his his talent deserves and uh, obviously in a great organization for development. And so when you're taking Dalton rushing, I think you just got to view same way as like Parada. I think you're just evaluating the bat. And if, if he's as good of a hitter as he sort of teased us with last year, he could play first base. He could play DH. I don't think they'll have a problem finding a spot for him. Uh, Natural
1: transition for catchers too. We see uh, going to third base. That would be something, not saying he can, but we've seen that transition happen. A lot of guys going over there. There is an obvious thing that we haven't mentioned whatsoever. Where are the pitchers? Good question. Where are the pitchers? Because they're not in the first round, a first year player. That and not saying it's not a talented group, but it's not as talented as in some previous years. Here's some names to chew on of where these pitchers are. Uh, Cooper Ajerpe, Cade Horton, uh, Horton, uh, Dylan Lesko, Brock Porter, you've got Jacob Mizeroski, Landon Sims, and Kumar Rocker. Let's talk about two that you really like out of this group. I, and, and do you agree that there's none in a 15 team that really belong in that space? You can obviously pick the top two. There's a couple of high school arms: Brock Porter and Dylan Lesko. Dylan Lesko might be like the number one pitcher if there wasn't some injury and in high school stuff out there. Uh, Landon Sims struggled uh, with uh, having Tommy John surgery and he hasn't really pitched. Cade Horden kind of came on really late. There's a lot of pitchers in here. Is there a pitcher that belongs in the top 15? And give me two that you want to break down.
2: Well, Cooper is my top guy, and I, I have taken him top 15 in one first-year player draft, but there's some context. Uh, like, I really needed pitching in this league, and I had enough offensive depth where it's just like it was way more worth it for me to roll the dice on Jerpy than to take a Dalton Rushing or a Drew Gilbert in this specific league. Uh, so I think if, if you're just desperate for a pitcher – Uh, maybe if you're in a points league or something like that, I think it's fine to take Jerpy in the first round. So Jerpy's obviously one of my guys there. And then I'll I'll say Kate Horton for the second one. Uh, He kind of, he slips in some first year player drafts. I think that's a mistake. He's got, he's got the stuff. It's kind of, can he handle a starter's workload? That's, that's the TBD part. But if he shows us that he can, if if he's going five innings, a start sort of middle of the summer and, and really building up those innings, I think you'll you'll see him really shoot up lists because the stuff is there to be kind of a, a front line or a number two starter.
1: I was trying to look here in the the so Scott our friend Scott White runs a league. Let me see where I did it, and yeah, I got Cade Horton in the second round, and it's twenty four teams. It's twenty four teams, and I got him in the second round at pick fourteen. So you know what is that twenty? 38th pick I was able to get Horton and this is a points league by the way so I agree these guys fall and those are two that uh, I really like Landon Sims is someone I want to take really late and then the guy that you know stands out here is Kumar Rocker and I would just add you know James you've been on the not impressed train for a long time I definitely tried to give benefit of the doubt that it could fix and it's just not happening like I was at um, I shared that video of uh, Jack Leiter throwing the other day and Kamar Rocker was there, and just during this little simple throwing, you know, session, just fastballs all over the place. It still cannot be commanded, and until I, until he maybe pulls a Hunter Green and finds comfort at any part of the count, throwing that slider, which he needs to do, and finding some semblance of command, I just don't see him as a starter. I really think he's going to go into relief, and and I'm out, uh, and I wasn't out before, and that was wrong that I'm out on Kumar rocker because there's no fastball command whatsoever. He has become a two pitch pitcher and one of them doesn't even work. So it's not worth it. Even though you're going to be like, Oh my God, Kumar rocker and the name value. Do I really take Landon Sims or do I really take his teammate who went in the third round Brock Porter over him? I think at this point you do. And I think you agree with me. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm I'm just happy for Kumar that he got his signing bonus. And, uh, you know, I, I hope things turn around for him, but, if I had Kumar Rocker in a Dynasty League, I would just be crossing my fingers that he could be their closer in a couple of years.
1: Yeah, I think that's what you're playing for. Uh last up, just some deep names here. We obviously focused, you know, 10 to 20 players. Uh, first to second round here. we got only a couple minutes. Yeah, You gave out uh, your top five sleeper names. Uh, Xavier Isaac, uh, Tampa Bay first baseman. Brandon Barrera with the Toronto Blue Jays. Really good pitcher. Connor Prelip with the Twins. Judd Fabian with the Orioles. And Ben Joyce, very interesting one. Ben Joyce, famously at Tennessee, was a kid that threw like 104 miles per hour. He's a reliever. Could be a closer. Could be up with the Angels. Sooner rather than later, um, you want a quick little snippet on one or two, or even all of these guys? These were your big top five deeper names in first year player,
2: yeah. I mean, Isaac and Barriera, uh, prep guys, upside plays, you know, they're kind of boomer bust. Uh, Isaac, I think, is just going to be an exit velocity king, and that, that alone could push him up rankings. But I think there's big time upside with those two, uh, prelip. I don't even value prelip that much lower than like Kate Horton or Cooper Jerpy. I think he's the, the third best college pitcher from the class. I think the twins uh,
1: got a steal there. He just had Tommy and, John, I think, uh, I think that ended the year, correct? Uh, he had it at Alabama, but he's throwing
2: like he he's been throwing since the fall, I believe. It was
1: like early, early in last college season. So that's probably why he's back doing it.
2: Yeah, so I think, you know, sometimes uh, we see this with, you know, the Jesus Lizardos, Walker Buehler types. They come back from TJ, and then they just rock it up lists because yeah. people remember how good the stuff was. Uh, Judd Fabian was a guy that I'd been out on for a while. Obviously, he's been on the draft radar for years. But the Orioles get their hands on him, and all of a sudden he's making really good swing decisions in a brief sample in pro ball. So I think there might be something there. Big-time tools. And then, yeah, Ben Joyce... Uh, if you don't want to take a relief pitching prospect, I understand, but if you're hunting for a closer, if you're hunting for a, a potential closer with upside uh hard to hard to overlook Joyce i mean the the stuff obviously is is well documented, clear path to saves in that bullpen and even the stuff just from from big league camp this year they've been saying like like they haven't been like we're not carrying Joyce this year they probably won't but I, I think we could see joyce this year and i think you could even get saves this year
1: that's right how much have you been loving seeing uh, all the prospect love in spring training by the way jordan walker jordan walker rocking corbin carroll going uh, any just spring prospect things that come to mind there's been a whole lot of whole lot of production we've had this hasn't to do with first year player by the way but just curious on uh, any of the spring training prospects that have uh, got you going
2: Uh, I'm just really annoyed at how I can't seem to get uh, Brandon Fott in any drafts. Uh, Like, I I love him. Like, I, I want to be the high man on Brandon Fott. I want him on all my teams. And everyone you know what's else fun. is doing the same thing.
1: You know, it's funny. I think I did. A, um, I did. I don't remember what it was. It was like in November, October. I don't remember if it was prospect one or CBS. I did a show and I talked about him and you immediately hit me up after. And you're like, I love the Brandon fought call because you were back then. Like I think you were almost like quietly sitting there. Like you're like, I'm going to be the Brandon Fott guy. And then I've been talking about him. And you've been talking about him. I got hit up today by a friend of ours in the industry that was like, is he going to make the roster? And I was like, no guarantees, but he's for sure not guaranteed to go to AAA. I think that's what some people think. Like, no matter what he does, there's no way. And I'm like, no, nah, that's not the case with him. Like, I think the Diamondbacks are open to it. And I think the differentiating thing with Fott is the innings he put up last year. There's no excuse. Like, he put up, like, 160 innings. There's no excuse for him to have to go to the minors over Ryan Nelson or Dre, Dre Jameson for one of those reasons. It's It's got to come down to performance, or it'll come down to, like, you know, old school manager, like, well, Ryan Nelson had the gig and we're going to give him a shot. Like it could be that type of thing. But Brandon Fott has been the, he's probably been the second best pitcher in all of Diamondbacks camp. And that's why he continuously moves up. If the Diamondbacks were to name him rocket ship, right? Yeah. Well,
2: 100% there, but I actually wouldn't even hate it. Like if they say, okay, Fott's going to start the year at triple a, I wouldn't even mind that because then I'd be able to get a
1: bunch. <laughs> like I, oh, because then think the cost would come down.
2: Yeah. I don't yeah. think he's going to be – if he goes to AAA, he's going to be there for weeks, not months. And yeah. it might only be a couple weeks. might only be three weeks. And Zach Davies is not standing in his way. Davies is just there as, like, org depth. Uh, and like you said, fought. you know, what is he, probably their
1: third best starting pitcher in camp? Uh conservatively least. so yeah, yeah <laughs> conservatively mean... he has been he has been phenomenal i got to see him the other day i totally agree with that okay that's a good takeaway what do you got going on uh, uh Roto-Wire for people to check out we want to plug i uh, wrote about my
2: al labor auction uh from from the weekend and then i've got uh, volume 2.0 of my rookie hitter tiers and rookie pitcher tiers coming up uh we'll be talking about like jordan walker and those we'll be talking about other guys who've been kind of improving their redraft stock uh this spring
1: Awesome. Well, guys, I know there was no Eno and no DVR. I know it can be very, very jarring and it can make you appreciate even more what you have in uh, DVR and Eno. But I do hope that you found some enjoyment out of it. I hope it was helpful, especially if you guys have first-year player coming up. You may have already had it, but maybe those will give you some perspective for values. If you have them coming up, Hopefully this puts you in a good spot. You can go and check out James's ranks over at rotowire. You can subscribe. You can check mine as well. I've got first year player in top 500 just updated uh, in the next last 24 hours over at in But hopefully it was an easy transition to an episode like this, where I don't even know when the last time you didn't have both of those guys, but you I- know, enjoying a little bit of time that is going to do it here at rates and barrels. If you guys want go and check out the athletic.com slash rates and barrels to subscribe, get the draft kit. Help you the ultimate stuff. Uh, I've got some stuff in there. You know, everybody wrote a few little things and there's a whole bunch of stuff in there. You can get the pitching plus projections, my dynasty ranks and all of the fantastic articles. It's something I forget. Sometimes I go to an article. I'm like, oh, this looks like a great article. It's the athletic and I can easily click on because I have my subscription because I'm working here right now. So it helps out. Uh, but that's going to do it for the episode. You can find James on Twitter at Real JR Anderson. You can find me on Twitter at is it the Welsh? We will be back later in the week. It's Al, it's Eno, and I'm actually going to be back here on Friday with uh, Eno as well. So a little bit more of me. Thank you guys for hanging out right here on Rates and Barrels. Bye, friends.